We were just behind the eight ball. I was even more behind the eight ball, probably had myself a net worth of, if I sold my kayaks um, and my bicycle, maybe 80000 And I was uh, 40 years old. I never had issues with debt, but I, I just wasn't intentional with buying assets, buying things that would pay me in the future. And I wasn't doing that. And then I'd walk a mile to McDonald's, ask for ketchup, sweet and sour sauce, whatever they got that they're going to hand me for free to flavor my lentils and my rice so that I could eat. And I, I just didn't know that there was anything different. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 246. Happy Independence Day to, the, to those uh, celebrating here in America. It's a very special holiday for, for us and uh, everybody. hope everybody's uh, staying safe out there. But a great holiday to celebrate our, our independence and freedom and Thank you for all of those in the service that uh, protect these freedoms for us. Anyway, this week we've got Amber. She's a net worth of one to one point one million dollars. She owns a janitorial business now and has an incredible journey uh, and story, taking over a family business and all the sacrifices she made along the way. You know, she and I have a little bit in common, and then we were both janitors, early morning janitors in college to to pay for school and stuff. So great episode with her. Really looking forward to it. Last week we had Alan. He's in his mid forties. He's a therapist now, working in administration. His wife is a nurse. His net worth was hovering around a million as well, depending on the market fluctuations. Uh, we talked to him about that Roth conversion ladder, which we typically don't see uh, somebody utilize until they get older. You know, sometimes in their fifties or sixties, and so he's uh, doing that in his forties. And real interesting conversation with him about that. So. That's of interest. That's episode number 246. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Amber. Amber, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. So I guess I am a past human resource representative. I did HR for several different companies in the past, doing that right out of college. Got a degree in international studies with an emphasis on development um, out of Brigham Young University. And then you know, with my language skills, immediately jumped into human resources. And from there, my sister and her husband started a restoration franchise in Washington State, and he ended up passing away. So I decided, uh, the family decided, I'm one of five siblings. My sister was nine months pregnant. My family decided, hey, Amber, can you take over the business and get it out of debt and get it situated? And well, and I had no idea how to do that, but I had some human resources background. And so I took that over and it was a $2 million business at the time. And it was baptism by fire for sure. But it was equivalent to getting like a master's degree in business, I felt. I had my bachelor's up to that point, but it was in the real world. And then once we sold that business, I started consulting for that particular franchise and ended up after a few years consulting, uh, supporting the small business owners within that franchise, decided to buy the same franchise myself with my wife. And so now, right now, my wife and I are running a commercial janitorial uh, cleaning franchise in Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. I bet you've been busy the last year, year and a half with COVID, right? Yes. Lots of disinfection requests, uh, just trying to keep businesses going. They shut down 
we come in and disinfect, they can open back up again and they shut down and it's just constant rotation and on-call work trying to keep the economy going, really. And I think this is the first time that uh, janitors or commercial cleaners are getting their their fair share of respect, I guess, for what they do, Um, because a lot of these companies, at least during that first year, had to shut down until it got disinfected completely by a professional cleaning company. So what is your net worth today? So the net worth is about $1,072,000. And that does include the business equity or does not? It does. I, I put the fire sale liquidation price or value equity on the business because the business is what you can sell it for, right? The value of it. Totally. Um, so I put the lowest value I could put on it so that it doesn't skew that that number. Okay. And how is that million and some change broken up? Okay. Um, I've got... 167,000 in cash, so about 15% uh, in cash. And then stock market, about 598,000, so about 56%. Of that 56%, I'd say 6% of it's in bonds, so very little in bonds. And then real estate, I have about 161,000 in equity in real estate between a commercial building that I own and a our personal residential home. And that's about 15% as well in commercial or in real estate. And then uh, our business, I just put down 155,000 or 14%. Okay. And the the real estate, you said you have personal residence and then a commercial building. What's the split there between those two? It's almost 50-50. There's a little bit more equity in the commercial building, um, about $83,000, equity in that building, and then about 77000 in my personal property. I just bought a home in January. So at the peak of this real estate, or at least in the middle of this real estate um, bike. And then we bought a commercial building last year. Uh, it was all in the works. And then COVID hit in March and we, we had an offer accepted. So we just moved forward and it closed in April. Only. So that was interesting trying to make that happen. And, and what would you say that commercial building's worth? Is it a big place or is that just where you house your, your employees and... And equipment. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's only like 2,500 square feet. It's kind of one of those commercial condos where okay. you have a big yeah. bay door garage in the back and some offices up front. So I, I think when we, we paid 362000 for it, I have no idea how to evaluate it now after COVID. And, um, you know, there's no real Zillow per se or Zestimate for commercial buildings. It's really how much you can rent it for. And so, yeah, it's hard for me. So I just kept it. Uh, the price of that at three hundred two thousand. Um, I think it's gone up, but you know, commercial real estate now during COVID, uh, there's a lot of open spaces, so <laughs> yeah, it's gone down. And that's where you work out of an office out of and everything. Yeah, we we split between the office and our home. So usually the mornings we're at home, and in the afternoon we swing by the office and uh, get some work done. It's really kind of a play place for employees to go and get their supplies, and so they don't, you know, they can go at any time and get what they need. I want to come back to the business, but real quick, let me just back up here. So three years ago, correct me if I'm wrong here, Amber, three years ago, you had a net worth of 250000 Yeah, that's correct. And that's combined with my wife. So we were just behind the eight ball. I was even more behind the eight ball, probably had myself a net worth of, if I sold my kayaks um, and my bicycle, maybe 80000 And I was uh, 40 years old. And um, so I started reading and just realized, oh my goodness, I am way behind the eight ball here. So finances, I never had issues with debt, but I, I just wasn't intentional with buying assets. 
buying things that would pay me in the future. And I wasn't doing that. So what what made you start looking into that or start reading? Was there a moment or something that a conversation or you met somebody or you read something? I think it was um, there was a transition for myself where I was running my sister's company and I sold it. And during that time, I was trying to get the company out of debt and doing a lot of things. And, and I thought it was best for some reason to pay myself minimum wage during that time. So I couldn't put anything away. It was a five and a half year period uh, into my retirement, which I normally was doing beforehand, just, you know, the typical 10 or 15%. And so once I sold the business, and I was able to get, you know, a real job, quote, unquote, not kind of voluntary work for the family, um, I, you know, had this real salary. And I was like, my gosh, I'm used to living off of a minimum wage salary, you know, and I didn't really change my lifestyle and everything else. It just started building up in my savings account. And I was like, huh, well, maybe I should buy myself a house, but maybe I should just pay cash for it. And so I just started saving cash because I, I didn't know what to do with the money. I'm not a big spender. So that kind of turned me into, wait, is this the best thing to do with my money? What am yeah. I? I actually had money, so I had to research. Yeah, so my wife, uh, she went to, uh, she has a good friend whose father is a venture capitalist. She went to her wedding and cornered her father <laughs> at the wedding and just said, hey, do you have any advice for us? And he said, the only advice I've got for you is to read the little book of common sense investing. And so we immediately read that book, which led to other books. And we just started researching index funds and investing. And so that was kind of the turnaround point, actually having money to be responsible for and wanting to to put it to best use to optimize it. Yeah. So so prior to that, you, you mentioned what forty years old net worth of eighty thousand. Was that a? If you look at that big picture, was it a? You didn't have the income to get higher. Was it spending? Was it not saving? I guess it's the same as spending. I mean, if you look at it, how come you didn't think you were higher at forty? Um, I think that there was a big gap of the five and a half years, you know, working basically for free for my uh, my mm-hmm. family's business. But before that, I think it was just. I always had $20,000 cash in my checking account. I always lived like a cop, you know, with roommates and, but I could do whatever I wanted. I traveled the world, you know, backpacked through Europe, just had a blast. I was having a good time and money I never wanted for anything. And I just wasn't focused on it. I think I just, I don't know, I guess I didn't think about the future really. So any extra money that I had, I mean, I always had a, you know, 20,000 buffer, you know, an emergency fund, but beyond that, I would just travel. But I also, you know, to be honest, I wasn't a very uh, high earner. Out of college, I had a bachelor's degree from a, you know, a, a good university and the only job I could get, at least that I felt I could get, I think it may have been a confidence uh, situation there was $10 an hour right out of college. And so then I worked at that location for, for three years and I left at $13 an hour. And then I moved to New York, got a raise. But even then I was probably at 15 or $16 an hour. You know, these were jobs that I probably could have gotten without a college degree. And I think I was, I just lacked the confidence to, to step up and demand more, more responsibility from my employers and, you know, raises and those type of things. So how did, how did that change, Amber? That's a good question. Um, I think the way it changed is when I was thrown in uh, to run my family's uh, restoration franchise, and I had, they threw me in there. I was running it. I was the, you know, $2 million business that I was in charge of, and it forced me to be uncomfortable every day. 
and being uncomfortable was not fun. You know, I had to learn what EBITDA meant. I had no idea what EBITDA meant. I had to learn what a P&L statement was and a balance sheet. And I had to learn about disgruntled employees and, and help solve and versus just having a job, right? A simple job uh, right. that I always had in the past. And I clock out at five and I'm done. But when I had to run and was given that level of responsibility, it really stretched me. And uh, it also gave me confidence that, you know, I have more to bring to any company out there than than what I had in the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a hard thing to do, right, for anybody. I mean, no matter what field you're in or male or female, it doesn't matter to jump into something that you know you're not comfortable with and know that you don't know. Right. I mean, right. It, it takes a learning curve. So pretty amazing there. So let me just hit on a couple of things we talked about before we, we started the show is I think one thing hearing your story now and, and reading a little bit beforehand, it seems like you did a great job of even if your net worth wasn't super high, you stayed out of debt and you made do with what you had. That seems to be a big part of your story. Yeah. Definitely. I remember, you know, I was a 17-year-old kid and I applied to one university and I got in, thank goodness. And, and But I worked at McDonald's the summer before going to school and it was out of state. I lived in Washington. This school was in Idaho. And so I hitched a ride with a friend who went to my church said, hey, could I get a ride out to Idaho? And I found an apartment that had five roommates. So my rent was only like $110 a month or something crazy cheap. And just kind of found a way out to school. I didn't know. I had no clue that you could get a student loan. And I don't know why I didn't know this, but I didn't know. So I just wrote a check for tuition and worked really hard the summer before, I also did get a grant, a small grant, I think $800 or something from the government. And and that was the only year that I did get a grant. But I wasn't super sharp. I didn't get any scholarships, anything like that. But I just worked. And my first semester, I didn't have a job. And I remember I lost 20 pounds. You know, they talk about the freshman 15 or freshman 20. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I actually lost 20 pounds. I mean, I literally took some lentils and some rice from my mom's food storage and drove out there. And then I'd walk a mile to McDonald's, ask for ketchup, sweet and sour sauce, whatever they got that they're going to hand me for free to flavor my lentils and my rice so that I could eat. And I, I just didn't know that there was anything different. I, I think I just am a glutton for punishment um, most of the time. <laughs> And um, but finally, at the end of that first semester, I saw that they were hiring janitors on campus. And I was like, perfect. I know I have the skill set for that, you know, and it was uh, four in the morning till eight in the morning. And that was the end of it. That's that's what I worked my entire college career is 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. And um, and it, I was living high on the hog. I had orange juice and cold cereal. I was pretty excited. So but every year. <laughs> Every year, um, I just wrote a check for tuition. And during the summers, I would go work in Alaska as a housekeeping uh, housekeeper at a hotel. And then at night, I would work at a restaurant. And the benefits with that is the house, the housekeeping position, they paid for my housing. So you had employee dorms. And then the restaurant position, I got a free meal. And so I would work five days a week during the day, do an eight-hour shift housekeeping, and at night work at the restaurant, get some food in me. And then I'd come home after that summer and just write a check for tuition and then work my part-time janitorial to pay my rent and food. And I just thought this was the way it was. <laughs> and I noticed my roommates weren't going to work or anything, but it didn't occur to me. I just thought, oh, they must have, you know, maybe they work later in the evening or I don't know. But yeah, I just 
that's kind of the way I approached money was just, you just earn it to pay your bills. But I never, I always had a scarcity mindset, I guess, because of that. When did that scarcity mindset shift in the sense that you were willing to go and, and, and go into business for yourself and learn about EBITDA and P&Ls and balance sheets? Right, right. I think that really happened once I started seeing my savings account have eighty, ninety thousand dollars in it and I'm and I'm thinking, wait a second. And also just reading, um, my wife was a big part of that. She, you know, we read together. We didn't have a TV. We live very simply. I mean she's a mechanical engineer and earned great money and but you know, she only had like hundred and twenty five or so, hundred and fifty thousand net worth. And um so we're like, what are we doing wrong? Why are we so behind? And just started researching and reading. And I think the books, the knowledge gave me the confidence. And then um, also being a, a small business consultant, like I said, running my family's business and writing checks for $80,000 and then it helped me see bigger or uh, have a bigger vision of how money can work for you. And so, yeah, that that just really changed. And then as a consultant, I would go around, I'd see a lot of P&L statements of uh, these janitorial companies. And I was shocked how much they were making. And and those that were really good uh, were making multiple six figures as a janitor, right? I mean, they're, they're business owners. but So I just thought, well, let's do this. Let's try this and see if it can catapult us closer to um, financial independence, really. What was it like trying to find that business to buy in, in essentially making that purchase? I mean, I, I know for a lot of people, it's a, a bit of a risk, right? And you get nervous and you've worked in, you know, maybe a traditional job in your situation where you're in human resources to make that leap. I know you had a skill set to do it, but what really kind of pushed you over the edge to, to make that happen? I think, well, deciding what business to buy, if start at the beginning of that question, uh, we had all sorts of ideas. We were going to buy a ranch in Montana and rent it out for family reunions and, you know, that type of thing. And just thought, well, maybe we open up an Amazon, you know, store online, but we're kind of a hippie environmentalist. So we didn't want to sell tchotchkes that would fill the landfills. So uh, we even thought about a coffee shop, but we're not big fans of stimulants, you know, caffeine and sugar. We just, you know, well, we don't want to addict people to things, you know. So so we just settled. And I was like, we just decided, my wife and I were like, okay, what do we know best? And I was like, I know commercial cleaning. I advise commercial cleaning owners on how to run their business, you know. I'm inside this, especially that franchise in particular. Um, and I had been a commercial cleaner all even in high school, all the way through college. And so we just decided, okay, let's take a minute. What do we know best? What are we most comfortable with? And that was commercial cleaning and really leaning on my strengths and with that. So that's that kind of what pushed us over the edge. We just kind of had a logical discussion about what do we know? What are what are our talent sets? And, um, and also resources and networking capabilities. I had a lot of people that I could network with, with in the franchise that would help me. So that's what pushed us over the edge to say, okay, let's buy the business. Totally. So where do you go from here with the business, with your personal finances? Are you trying to get to a certain level and sell the business or a certain net worth? You know, honestly, my wife and I, we talk about this every day. Ideally, yes, the business, we would eventually sell that probably uh, sooner than later and then use that to move us on to our next project. And uh, the next project is to buy a farm 
and uh, we're very much excited about raising our own food and, you know, just educating people about food and nutrition and also finances too, hosting classes on the farm about finances and uh, helping other people succeed, hopefully earlier than than what I did. So yeah, ideally, the business is to eventually sell the business. I read the four hour work week. It's interesting that he, I forget his name who wrote that, but that gentleman eventually sold his business, even though he was only working four hours in it. Tim Ferriss? Tim Ferriss, yes. He said, and, and the interviewer who interviewed him said, you know, why did you end up selling it if you're only working four hours a week in it? And uh, he's like, well, it was the underlying stress, the back of my head stress, you know? Um, is, you know, someone going to sue me? Is this and that? And I think, uh, you know, ideally, I'd like to run this business for perpetuity. But there is that underlying stress of, I don't know, p- pandemic hits or something like that, that, you know, could wipe out your business. So that's, we will eventually probably sell it. And yeah, and then the goal is, yeah, sorry, let me get back focused. Um, the goal is to live off of passive income, to build enough in our brokerage, to live off of dividends. And again, my wife uh, does engineering consulting remotely, and she does that part-time. And her part-time income is more than enough for us to live on. And if we add in a few dividends, ideally, we don't want to cash out uh, stocks quite yet till we're a bit older. But if we can live off of the dividends out of our brokerage account and also the part-time engineering work, and then once the business is sold, then um, I would run like an Airbnb small business on the farm, put up little little cabins on the farm that people could rent. And it's agro-tourism is what it's called. That's kind of popular now. Gotcha. So do you wish you would have done the business sooner or do you feel like it happened pretty good timing and it, it is what it is here? I do wish I would have done it sooner. I think you have the energy when you're young. I mean, starting a business from scratch, I mean, the franchisor that I went through, we just got a license. And so we started from scratch and it takes a lot of energy. And then setting up systems and processes and, and, and getting everything going just takes a lot of energy. And I just, I you know, I feel like an old lady at 43 right now. Um, <laughs> When you guys you don't told me when like you, it to you me. graduated, I was uh, I felt really old. So, uh, sorry, what was that? Oh, I just said you don't seem like it to me. <laughs> Taking on all these new challenges, pretty awesome. Yeah. So I think younger, and then you can reap the ben- benefits of it by having the energy to do it. You know, maybe ten years, have all the systems and processes set up, the kinks out, have some reliable employees, and then you could run it passively. And and with any business, it comes down to your staff. And you know, right now it's pretty tough finding employees uh, in this market. So. It can kind of burn you, you know, burn burn you on both ends, I guess. Yeah. So, but yes, I wish I was started younger. I wish I would have started my vision on real estate um, scarcity mentality. You know, taking out a two hundred thousand dollar loan. This is back when property was cheap. Would freak me out, and I'd be like, no, no, I I can manage with what I've got here. Life is simple managing with just my paychecks. But I wish I would have started buying real estate earlier and buying and, and started a business earlier. Yeah, definitely. Gotcha. So Amber, as much as you're comfortable sharing here, I mean, what do the finances look for this business? I mean, where can you go if someone wants to do something like this? What do they pay for it? Or what is it cash flow? Or give us as much as you can on, on this business here. Sure. Yeah. So um, my particular franchise, it's a service master queen franchise. And you can start out just buying a license. 
you just go to their website and say, I'm interested in buying a license for a certain territory. And that license is probably about $25,000, somewhere in there. Then you have to buy some startup equipment and, you know, computers and such. But most people, when they start from scratch, just start out of their garage. For the franchise model, typically they want to see that you have a net worth of at least $100,000, that you have access to something, you know, to make your first payroll. They want to see a certain amount of cash as well. So a lot of people can just do that via, uh, you know, a startup loan something like that, either from the franchisor or um, maybe from their bank or the SBA. Uh, so for us, we started out, we bought a, a gentleman's license only uh, here in Phoenix. And we lived in Seattle at the time. And so we moved to Phoenix. And then with the franchise, so we started, sorry, June of 2018. And by June of 2019, so we started with zero. And by June of 2019, we were invoicing, I think it was about 45000 a month. And wow. so that equates to roughly, I don't know, 500000 550000 a year, something like that. You know, we had some big months that went up to 60000 50000 but it was right around that 45000 a month, almost within a 12, 13-month period. Now, I, I think... We were on advertising. That's the benefit of the franchise is they do a lot of digital advertising for you and things like that. But uh, so, and I pay a franchise fee, which is uh, usually about a half a percent of your revenue. Uh, or sorry, that's an advertising fee. So we pay about half a percent for advertising. And but to get me forty five thousand a month in reoccurring revenue, that was worth it. Just a half a percent. Yeah. What does profit look like? So profit, uh, let's see, we probably take home about 15%. Uh, bottom line, that's after paying. So I pay my wife a full-time salary, even though she's part-time. So she gets 75000 a year. I get 75000 a year out of the business as, you know, just the efforts that we put in there. Um, it's an S-corp, so you kind of have to show a reasonable salary for the position that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so that's 150000 So after all of that, and everything we probably are taking home somewhere between uh, at least last year was about eighty thousand. I think the year before that was almost a hundred. Um, on top, that's on top of the salary. That's on top. Yeah, wow. it's pretty crazy. And so, yeah, we would you know take one hundred fifty thousand. That was our income, the seventy five and the seventy five. And then we set up this amazing thing called a four hundred one k within our business. So then our business would match us, you know, four thousand dollars each. Basically, I think the math roughly works out for a 4% match. And then we did profit sharing. So the, the first year, we got burned by the tax man. I'm still learning this business thing. And they, you know, the first year, we had to write a check for $40,000 to the tax man. And then I was like, I'm not going to let that happen again. We've got to shelter this money. And so we set up the 401k. So max that out, each of us, um, and then got the 4%, which is an expense the business, which lowered us. And then we also did profit sharing within the 401k. So then we just took the profits or a, a portion of the profits at the end of the year and just gave it back to the key employees, which were myself and my wife and two other employees. And uh, so then we're able to shelter a bunch of it. And then we were able to get like a $30,000 refund this year, you know, so businesses are great to, to set up those systems. And you're not capped at that 19,500 max for a 401k because you can do profit sharing. Interesting. So Rich Dad Poor Dad had an impact on you starting the business? Yes. Yeah. So we read Rich Dad Poor Dad and it was, yeah, that's where we thought, gosh, we got to get a business. You know, when you read that book, you come out of it. 
thinking we got to get a business. And I think if you ask my wife, there's a lot of stress with running a business. And that's why I think got the energy for it. Great. But I think you can uh, get to a good financial position with a nine to five job as well. It just takes intentionality and buying assets, right? And so, but rich dad, poor dad is what played a big role in us making the decision to buy the business. Yeah. So now do your friends and family know you're millionaires? Uh, I don't Oh, think so. There's a few people like uh, we here in Phoenix. There's a Choose FI group, which is Choose Financial Independence. It's a, and we just started participating in that. And um, you know, you kind of are open about money in those groups. And so we shared that we had just passed the one million mark, and we're pretty excited. And so there's a few people that know. But yeah, I mean, we're such simple people. I mean, I think we probably live off of thirty thousand a year or something like that. So. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about the, uh, before the show, Amber, that sometimes women don't take as much control of their finances or they feel like they don't want to put the work in to understand it. And, and, you know, we've always tried to highlight more women on the show. But why do you think that is? And what would your advice be to other women who are maybe intimidated by this or, or don't want to take control of their finances? Right. I think for me, I think there's a... <sighs> For me, I felt, and I, I'm not playing the victim here at all, but I, I personally interpreted within our society an underlying expectation of women that that wasn't their space, that wasn't their priority, uh, if that makes sense, like that, that someone else would take care of you or someone else, some other adult would adult more and take care of that, right? So, and that's, I'm speaking for myself in that case. I think women too tend to sacrifice more in the sense that, for example, I sacrificed five and a half years of my career to help my family's business, right? And women tend to maybe step out of their careers for five to 10 years to raise children or to take care of an elderly uh, parent, something like that. They tend to be the first ones to have to step back in their career and in their finances and then eventually need to rely on you know someone else in their life, whether that's a spouse or a parent or something like that. So there's, uh, I think women tend to have that burden, which tends to hold them back a little bit. But even if you do need to step up and, and, you know, you want to spend time with the family or care for an elderly parent, being involved in the finances, I think, is is key because a lot of times women are just, I think I read an article that women tend to do better in the stock market than men uh, just because of their risk management. Um, men tend to take more risks than women, which in the stock market tends to uh, mean less returns. So yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing thoughts on that, and and thanks for writing that in to be on the show. So let's just wrap up here with a couple rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Oh, I bought a brand new Subaru Outback for I think it was thirty two thousand um, dollars. I was stranded in Boise, and my car broke down, so I bought a brand new one, and I sold it a year later to get out of debt. But yes, thirty two thousand. Okay. Uh, what about the most expensive meal out that you've paid for personally? Uh, $300. And that was just a week ago to celebrate uh, hitting the $1 million mark. There you go. Congrats. <laughs> uh, have you ever used a financial advisor? I have. You know, I used one of those when I was young that was in the strip malls, you know, and um, definitely regret it. And I pulled my money out once I understood uh, index funds and how cheap they are. I had front loaded mutual funds, 5% of my savings gone as soon as I bought a share. And then they charge one to 2% after that. It's a very painful lesson learned. So Okay. Uh, any books you recommend? We talked about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, Simple Path to Wealth, Quit Life 
like a millionaire. Um, you are a badass at making money. So <laughs> that's a book that's directed towards women. Uh, this author also writes a book called You Are a Badass. Um, and I think that helped me as well. Just get some confidence and um, especially when it comes to money. So you're a badass at making money and you are a badass. And then the little book of common sense investing, which really was the starting point for my wife and I for stock investing. Yeah. All right. So last question here, as you look back on, on your life and your journey, has this money made you more happy? What does it mean to be happy and fulfilled? And, and has this money played a part in it? I think it's, uh, I wouldn't say made me more happy, but it's made me feel more secure. And I, my, my living standard hasn't really changed much. Um, until recently, I, you know, owning my first home here that I bought in January, but, uh, yeah, happiness comes from time with those you love, good conversations, good meals. I love food and travel. So just experiences, that type of thing. So for me, gosh, it's just time and experiences with those you love. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Amber. Really appreciate it. Again, everybody, that's Amber, net worth of almost 1.1 now, right? Yeah. Small business owner. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.